This is a Liberty Baptist Church sermon podcast. LBC is pastored by Jordan Zeke and exists to reach the lost, disciple the saved, and send the called. For more information on our church, please check out our website at lbcspokane.com. We hope that you are encouraged by today's sermon and that it draws you closer to God. We are continuing again in our uh, our lessons and our studies through liberty and what we believe. Talking about Liberty 101, what do we believe and why do we believe it? We've been talking about the scriptures. Last week we talked about Jesus Christ, the incarnate. And so today we are talking, we are in lesson number four, or yeah, I believe that's number four, but we're talking about Christ crucified. Christ being crucified. So this week we're going to tackle Christ's crucifixion, and next week we're going to talk about Christ's resurrection. And so what what do what do those entail, and what's the importance of them? Why did it happen? Why did it have to happen that way? And so I'm excited to jump into it, and I hope that you're excited too. So when we look at our church constitution and our beliefs, uh, we look at what we have to say about the work of Christ. So last week. Um, as I said, when it's specifically talking about Christ, it's split up into kind of three sections. And so this is section number two, if you look in the Constitution, and this is what it says. It says that we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished our redemption through his death on the cross as a representative, vicarious, substitutionary sacrifice, and that our justification is made sure by his literal, physical resurrection from the dead, meaning that we believe that Christ came and he died for our sake, for our redemption, for our for our sanctification, and that it's only our sanctification only comes because he rose again. So again, today we're focusing solely on Christ's crucifixion. What do we believe about Christ being crucified? And so when we talk about Christ's crucifixion, what do we think is the importance of this doctrine? Why is it important for us to, to believe and to understand that Christ did come and he did die? Well, the death of Jesus Christ is the central theme of all of Scripture. It's, it's, it's rooted in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. It is something that is is written throughout our entire Bible. It's the central theme of all of Scripture. When we're talking about about the Old Testament, we're talking about God, and we're talking about the Savior to come. But when we're in the New Testament, we're talking about the Savior who has come. And so it is the central theme for all of Scripture. It's prominent in the Old Testament, although it's understood only in a vague form. So we don't, that means that it's it is in the Old Testament, however, it's not fully in the Old Testament, meaning we don't know who Christ is at that time. They didn't know who Christ was, and they didn't know that he, you know, all the, the miracles that would happen. They didn't know all of the steps that would, would take place, although it was still in the Old Testament. It was, it, it was, it was um, present in numerous different areas, but it was also a type in the Old Testament. So the atoning death of Christ was a type. And we look at things such as the provision of skins for Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3.21, it says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothe them. When they realized that they were naked, when they realized that they were ashamed of their nakedness, 
Christ, an animal, had to die for them to be covered so that way they would not have that shame. We also look at Abel's acceptable sacrifice. In Genesis 4, 3 through 5, it says, And in the process of the time it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also brought the firstlings of his flock, and that the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain, to his offering, he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Meaning that when Abel and Cain both gave their sacrifices, Cain gave the fruits and his first fruits of his produce, but, but Abel gave the, the best of his flock. It gave a real-life sacrifice, and that was acceptable to God. We also see Noah's sacrifice after the flood in Genesis 8.20, and Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. We see things such as the Passover lamb and the sprinkling of the blood. Exodus 12, 20, uh, 21 through 29 talks about this, but specific, specifically in 21 it says, and Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And then the last one that's kind of a good type is the Levitical system of just blood sacrifices. In Leviticus 17.11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. So we see that, the, that Christ's death was prominent in the Old Testament in different ways, but specifically as a type, meaning that there were different instances in which the Bible talked about a need for death a need for a sacrifice to be made to atone for sins, to atone for the shame that was put on people. And that is what we see in the Old Testament. That's what we see kind of as an example of saying, hey, just as we need a sacrifice and a blood sacrifice in Leviticus and for, for um, all of our sacrifices with the Passover, with Noah, with all these different people, it's the same thing for all man. And that we need, this is, these are momentary sacrifices and momentary things that kind of cover the sins that they have given. However, we know that eventually there will come a Savior in the New Testament whose death and whose sacrifice will cover all of man. We even see things like Job in which he came up, he, he rose every morning and he killed an animal for each one of his children, knowing that, hey, this is, this, again, this is a momentary sacrifice and it doesn't cover forever, but we know that eventually there's going to be a sacrifice that will cover forever. So it's prominent in the Old Testament, but it's also prominent in the New Testament. We see that one out of every 44 verses speaks of the death of Christ. That makes it a very central theme of specifically the New Testament. Christ's death is specifically mentioned in 175 verses. That's a lot of verses that specifically talk about Christ's death. That's an important fact because it's important for us to realize that this is a major thing. This is something that had to be done, something that was necessary for man's salvation. So why else is it important? Well, it's important because Christ's death is the chief purpose of the incarnation. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the Trinity and their different roles, and the Father sent Christ the Son, and, the Christ, and Christ the Son's job 
was to die for mankind. That was his role, to be that sacrifice, to be that substitution, that propitiation for our sins. Christ came and his death was the chief purpose for his incarnation. Not only that, but Christ's death is the heart of the redemptive message that distinguishes Christianity from other religions. It's what sets us apart. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, and unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Galatians 6.14 says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Only Jesus' crucifixion can truly save mankind. And Christianity is the only one who truly believes that, who understands that, that this, this substitution... This redemptive substitution is the only correct thing for mankind. Other religions get that wrong. They think that doing good works gets to heaven, that, that believing that there is any way that you can get to heaven. We know that it's only through Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection that we can get to heaven. It's also important because Christ's death is the heart of the redemptive message. Oh, I, I read, hit that one. I put it in there twice, sorry. We also see that Christ is the heart of, of the ordinances which give believers reminders of what he accomplished through his son. We see that in, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 30, I won't get into it, but it talks about Christ giving, or giving the ordinances to his disciples. And it says, you know, uh, for as the same manner he took the cup and he supped, saying this cup is the New Testament of my blood. And it keeps going into all the, the Lord's Supper ordinance, but... Without Christ's death, there would be no ordinance. We see we've got the, we've got the bread and we've got the, the, the wine, and those two things are representative of Christ's blood and his body, who was crucified for us. That's what we're supposed to do in remembrance of him, because without that death, without that blood, that shed blood and Christ, Jesus' body dying, then we wouldn't have anything to remember. We wouldn't have a need to take this ordinance. So Christ's death is the heart of this ordinance. Not only that, but it's fundamental to the gospel. It's fundamental to the things that we are even talking about, the things that we even tell each other, the, the, the gospel in which we share to people. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. If we don't believe that Jesus really died, then the rest of our gospel is completely thrown out the window. If we don't believe that Christ actually sacrificed himself willingly and that his sacrifice was a redemptive sacrifice and is something that can redeem us, something that can substitute our sin, then our gospel is wrong then our gospel is, is false. It's something that we truly don't believe because without the death, there is no resurrection. Without the re death and the resurrection, there is no salvation. And so it's important for us to realize that Christ's death, it's fundamental to the gospel. We have to understand that he came for a specific purpose and he achieved that purpose through his death. We also see that it's the foundation and source for all true Christian living. Romans 8, 3 through 4 says, for what law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of a sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, 
that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Without Christ's death, then we would not know truly how to live. Christ said that I came not to, uh, to condemn the law, but that through, through me the law might be fulfilled. That Christ's death is the reason that we can now live the way that he has told us to live. Without that death, without that, that completion of the law, and without that understanding that, that Christ has given us a new law, then we don't know how to live. We don't know the things that we're supposed to do. It's only through God sending his son and the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That's what he did. He came and he took, put, took on the flesh of a 100% man who can sin. We talked about that last week of the incarnation of Christ. He came and he put on this sinful flesh without ever having sin. And he lived the entire life sinless so that way he could die and put to death the flesh that is sinful. So not only that, but Christ's death is the theme of heaven. It's the thing that the thing that we see in in all of heaven. Luke nine thirty through thirty one says, and behold, there uh, talked with two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of the decease which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Christ's death is the theme of all of heaven. It's also the last important thing that we need to realize, the importance of this doctrine, is that Christ's death will be remembered throughout eternity as a movement of God's infinite love and grace. That it's something that that everywhere and for all time, we will know that because of Christ's death for us, that God ultimately loves us and has an infinite agape love for us because no God if he didn't send his son would have that eternal love but it's because he sent his son because we see that love put out in the flesh put out in a sacrifice a blood sacrifice for our sakes that we know he has a true love for us so the importance of the doctrine of this is to understand that it's it's in all of our beliefs it's everything that we believe that that it's what's going to be after. It's what was before. It's prominent in the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's what our gospel is made up of. It's important to realize that Christ's death is very important. So what's the nature of the death of Christ? What, what does it mean? Because when we think of death, we think of, you know, you, you're, you're gone. And you either you go to heaven or you go to hell or you go to uh, wherever you believed or you did not believe. However, What was the nature of the death of Christ? Well, the basic idea of death in Scripture is a separation because of sin. Because of sin, there is a separation, and there are two types of deaths. There's a physical and a spiritual death. If we we have not accepted Christ, then we have already died spiritually. But we also know that because of sin, because of the the events of Genesis chapter 3, that we know that we will have a physical death. So in what sense did Jesus die? Did he die in a physical or a spiritual sense? Well, he died both. Physically, he died a death because he was 100% man, and he, he had died. J- or Matthew 27.50 says, J- Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. 
he had separated from his, his physical body and gave up the ghost, meaning that his physical body was dead. He had a physical death, but he also had a spiritual death, meaning that the person of Jesus was separated from the Father. We see that in Matthew 27, 46, it says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, uh, lama sabachthani, uh, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There was, there was a turning and a separation that he had with God the Father because of the sin that he was taking upon him. Because of these things, Jesus had to die physically and spiritually and to be able to rise again. So what's some biblical teaching on the death of Christ? What is, what is some, some different things that we can learn about the death of Christ? Well, we can know that the death of Christ is a sacrificial expiation, meaning that it's the freeing of a guilty soul from the punishment of sin by means of a sacrifice. That means because Christ died for us, because he came and he died, then we are now no longer guilty of sin if we have accepted him. It's a freeing of the guilty soul from the punishment of sin by means of sacrifice. That means that, that we, we don't have to endure the wrath of God because we have accepted Christ. And it's only through that expi uh, sacrificial expiation, that's always a hard word to say, it's only because of that and because of his death that we can not endure the wrath of God. Not only that, but the death of Christ is redemptive, meaning that we're bought out of slavery. That means that we are we were bondage and slaves to sin, but no longer because we have accepted Christ. And again, all of these are important to, re to reiterate that we only get this portion of Christ's death, and it's only important to us if we have accepted it. It can only redeem us. It can only expiate our, our guilt and our sin and our shame if we accept him. It's not for everybody. It's not something that, that is going to uh, just replace everybody's sin. It's only for those who accept it. The death of Christ is a propitiation, meaning to satisfy or appease the wrath of God. Very similar to the redemptive properties of Christ's death, but to be a propitiation, it means that it's completely satisfied or appeased the wrath of God. So not only did, did he take on the wrath of it, but now there's going to be no more wrath against us who have accepted Christ because he's taken it all. Because he's had that physical death, he's had that spiritual death, that separation from God. So because of that, we know that he is our propitiation. We see that in, in verse, um, First, or yeah, First John two two says, and he is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It's necessary because of sin. It's necessary to have that covering. That's the things that we see in the Old Testament. The things that that the reasons people made sacrifices, and so that way that animal, that sacrifice, would be the propitiation for their sins. It would be the substitute, the the satisfaction of the wrath of God put out on this sacrifice. That's why they were told to sacrifice things. That's why they were told to, to give blood sacrifices, even, even the Passover, to sacrifice a, a lamb and to put that blood on their door, doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over them. That's why it's called the Passover, because in the Old Testament we see, just like we had talked about it being Christ's death being a type, we understand that 
Christ's death is what gives us our redemptive qualities. It's what gives us the satisfaction of or the appeasement of God's wrath. The last biblical teaching of the death of Christ is that the death of Christ is a reconciliation or it's to restore to a place of fellowship by removing the offense. Meaning that we, if we've done something wrong, then we ask for forgiveness. We, we do wrong to somebody and we ask for forgiveness and we try and reconcile with them. We try and get it right. We try and get it back on the straight and narrow. And with Christ, that's what he has done with us and God. Because of sin, we are separated from God. Because of Genesis 3 and the acts of one man, so sin entered into the world. And it's because of that sin that we have death, that we have the wrath of God on onto us, and it's only through Christ that we can have that reconciliation. It's only through Christ that we can understand that with his death and with his sacrifice, we can now have fellowship again with God. It's that replacement of our sin to now be able to have a relationship with God. The last thing that I want to talk about, and I'm going, I'm going fairly quick because, um, like I said, I had split up and this is a very deep topic. And so I'm trying to give you the, the broad overview, but I'd split up the, uh, this week's, um, section of the work of Christ and split it up into the death. And the next week we're talking about the resurrection and why is it important that he rose again and what happened after the resurrection and, uh, the importance of that stuff. But, so it will be a little bit of a, a quicker lesson today, but I want to talk about the extent of the death of Christ. What does it extend to? Who's it for? What's the purpose of it? Because we've talked about Christ's death being the substitute for our sin, being the propitiation for our sin, redeeming us and giving us those that relationship with God again. So who does that extend to? Meaning, did Christ die for the whole world, or did he die for all? Who did he die for? Well, we see that the Bible speaks of a couple universal different things. We see that he talks about a universal redemption. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We can have that redemption, that... that, that I can't think of another word for redemption, but we can have that solely because Christ died. We can have the propitiation in 1 John 2, 2, that he is the propitiation for our sins only because Christ died. Without that, then there is no appeasement to God's wrath, and there is no substitute, and we have to endure all of that wrath when the time comes. When we die our physical and our spiritual death, then, then we have to appease that. But because of Christ, he's appeased it. There's also a universal provision, but we see uh, in Hebrews 2.9, it says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So he, he put on this, this sinful flesh, and without sin, he, put, he was the provision that we needed to appease the wrath of God. That it's, it's by the grace of God that, uh, that should taste death for every man. Because Christ died for every man, if we believe in him, then we don't have to have that spiritual death. Not only that, but there's a, recon a universal reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, 
and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Meaning that, just like we had talked about, because we have wronged God, because we have sinned, because there is a price to be paid, Christ's death made us be able to reconcile with God, to make it right, to appease God's wrath, because somebody needs to reconcile with him. Somebody needs to ask for forgiveness. Somebody needs to, to create that bond and to create that, that, that relationship back up again. And without Christ, we would not be able to do it on our own because there's only one way to God, and that's through Christ. Not only that, but we see that, that there's a, a supper. There's a universal supper. In John 7, 37 through 30, 38, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. There is, there is an, an eternal satisfaction that we get from Christ. And that's for everybody. That, that, is, that is able to be given to every single person. We also see that there's, there's an eternal and uh, an universal love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved the world that he gave his Son. Not that he just loved Jordan, not that he just loved Sherry, not that he just loved anybody specifically, but that he loved the whole world that he gave his Son, that through him we should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the last universal thing that I want to look at is the universal longing. 1 Timothy 2, 3-6 through 6 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. God wants everybody and longs for everybody to create that relationship with him to have that relationship, to accept Christ, and to be able to, to live with him forever. That's the universal things. Now, I do want to say this. These are universal in the sense that the atonement is available for all, but it's limited in the sense that it's effective for only those who believe. So when I say it's universal, I'm not saying there's, only, there's any ways that you can get taken to heaven. There's, there's any, anybody and everybody is going to get to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying these things that I talk about are universal in the sense that it's given to all men. However, salvation is only limited to those who accept it. Everybody can receive that gift. Everybody can receive that love. And God loved the entire world that he gave his son. We can have that, that love, that longing, the supper, the reconciliation, the propitiation, the redemption. We can have all those things. Even the worst of sinners can have those things. But it's limited in that it's only given to those who accept. So again, when I say universal, don't hear me saying that there's many ways to heaven and every single person is going to receive this stuff. It's universal in the sense that the atonement is available for all, but limited in that it's only effective to those who believe. Christ's death is important because it affects our entire belief. It affects our entire life. If we have accepted Christ, then we receive that redemption. Then we receive that propitiation. We receive that reconciliation that he has given us. 
But if we have not accepted that death, then we don't have all of those things. Then we still have to endure the wrath of God. Then we have to have a spiritual death. Then, then there's so many different aspects in which we don't receive. But God has given his son for all mankind, that all through him might believe. And that's what he longs for. That's what he desires for us. But if Christ never died, then we don't have all of those things. Then we don't have this, this type in the Old Testament. We don't have this understanding in the New Testament of realizing that without Christ's death, there's nothing. There is no sense in doing what we do. If Christ never died, there's no, there's no gospel to share. There's no love to share. There's no joy to share. There's no anything that's important to us we can't give to others. Because without Christ dying, we truly have nothing. If Christ did not die, then we are still responsible for the sins that we commit. We are still responsible and we are still slaves to sin. We are still in the flesh, living in the flesh, without any way to get to God. Because the Bible says that there is only one way to the Father, and that's through Christ through his death, and through his resurrection. So I hope you come back next week as we talk. We'll, we'll, we will talk a little bit more about the death just because it's important for the resurrection and to understand how the two uh, relate. However, I am specifically talking about the resurrection next week. So I hope that you guys come and you get to, to uh, walk with me through this. And then the week after that, uh, we should be on our last week of Christ and the things of Christ talking about where is he now? What's he doing? And why is that important? Why is it important that he is in heaven at the right hand of God? So with that, we'll close in prayer, and then we'll uh, mingle until the main service. All right, Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for today, and just thank you for this opportunity that we have to be here, and just for, for the things that you have given us and the death that you have, have, have died, so that way we can have life again so that we can live with you forever. Thank you for giving us these things and to help us understand that it's only through your death, your burial, and your resurrection that we can have any of it. And so help us to live that out through our entire lives and to, to share that with others, to share the gospel. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.